Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hello, and welcome to Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network. I'm Lisa Fine, and I'm so thrilled to speak with Virginia Maxwevna, the Vice President and Chief Compliance Officer of Roche Molecular Solutions. Thank you so much for joining me. Virginia, can you tell us a bit about how you got into compliance and healthcare compliance and, and your really specialized work now? Sure. Thanks, Lisa. I'm happy to be here. So I think I kind of fell into compliance. I started as a lawyer. And um, I had no lawyers in my family and certainly no compliance people in my family. And compliance wasn't really a word I had ever heard or was familiar with from my law school dealings. And then I started doing some securities fraud litigation and some employment litigation right about the time that Sarbanes-Oxley came to be. And then some of the big employment discrimination cases came about where they created, you know, essentially a defense if you had an appropriate policy, procedure, training, and way for people to report complaints. And so because I was working in those two spaces, it sort of became a natural evolution for me. And so in my first in-house job at Intuit, I was the employment lawyer, and they were basically creating their first code of conduct. And I got assigned on the project and started working on that. I started working on some FCPA policies, And then as I moved to Roche 11 years ago, that was really the job I was hired to be is the compliance lawyer. So I started by setting up some records and information management programs, setting up investigations programs. I was also the employment lawyer. And for me, it was a really natural transition from employment law to sort of a broader compliance world. I think of it as sort of you know, any bad thing someone can do at work all day is sort of the, the version that compliance serves, whereas employment is sort of a subset of that, right? Discrimination, harassment, and some retaliation. So for me, it felt very natural. And I was very familiar with sort of corporate defenses. In terms of healthcare, it was always something that I was very passionate about. I've had medical challenges in my past, and certainly people in my family have been affected by cancer, as I'm sure you know, most people have family members who have. And so Roche really has an amazing mission. So I work on the diagnostic side now, although I have worked on the pharma side. And really, so what we create is tests that help people identify, you know, do they have cancer? Do they have Zika virus? Do they have HPV? And all things that can ultimately lead to treatment. But the diagnostic is really a key for that. And so healthcare for me is just a great mission and something I really love. Yeah. And after we talked the first time, I went out because I took a look at some different things and I saw this interview with you and I think it was Profiles Magazine. And I really like I actually have the quote because I just liked it so much about (laughs) patients being the true north of working in diagnostics. And what I thought really hit me about that is the fact that, you know, a lot of times in compliance, you're not always thinking about the end users of what your particular product or your work is because you're concerned about the employees or the compliance as a whole or possible issues of non-compliance. But this idea of the consequences being life or death is just, you know, how do you relate that in your compliance function and your company mission sort of as a whole? How do they work together? 
Yeah, I mean, it's really important to us at Roche. And so when you're in a highly regulated industry like healthcare, we have, you know, different regulators, whether it be FDA or CMS, Center for Medicaid and Medicare. And in different parts of our business, that creates a different set of regulations. But essentially, we're required to have a comprehensive quality management system. And each of our tests have a certain sensitivity or specificity that they have to meet, right, to ensure that we're consistent results, that the results that you get um, from a blood draw or urine or a tumor sample are appropriate, right, and that they're right and correct. And so that's really the foundation of everything we do. There's a lot of science behind it, but ultimately we have to ensure quality. And so everything my program does for, you know, the thousands of employees that I touch in our area is in service of that. And I think the great thing is I never have to go into a room of employees or teams and have to start with why compliance is important, right? Everyone really gets that because it's healthcare, because it's a test result someone relies on. It might be you, it might be your mother, your sister, your best friend, your grandparent, your parent. They really understand that at the end of the day, there's a patient at the end of this waiting to ensure that the test result they get is right. That if they have Zika virus, the sooner that they are diagnosed, the better they can be treated. And that that result should be correct. And so that's a really core element of what we do. And it's just a nice, easy way to build into our compliance program. And so that people are really working to a higher standard, right? And really holding themselves to make sure that they're crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's in the world that we live in because it's important and there's a patient on the other end of it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. I sometimes think about the idea that sometimes talking to people, depending on what industry or other things, I mean, yours actually is life or death for where others are not. And sometimes when something may go wrong in certain situations in some industries, you may be able to say, look, this isn't brain surgery. You know, this isn't isn't life or death. But for you, you're actually walking in with that. So that does actually help a lot in terms of, you know, being able to really have that starting point for a program. And I think that people who are drawn to that world, right, really get that. And so I think we also attract a set of people who are really interested and committed to that mission. And even if, you know, they weren't aware of it before, it's really easy to get behind, you know, particularly in our tissue diagnostics business. It's essentially, you know, someone takes a sample of your tumor and it's the question of, you know, first and foremost, is it cancer? And then the second question is, if it's cancer, what are the biomarkers and what can be done about it? And so, you know, that is not a small thing. And the sooner you get your test result, right, the sooner you can potentially get treatment. And the longer that waits, the harder it is for patients. And so that always weighs very heavily on our mind is how fast can a result be done, but accurately. And how can we create technology that serves underserved populations? So one of the things our teams created last year was a plasma separation card. And so it's the idea that you can take a blood draw and put it on a card that's about the size of a credit card and ship it anywhere in the world so that you can get a test result for potentially HIV and then hopefully other things. You know, so for places like Sub-Saharan Africa that have a high rate of HIV and such a low quality of convenient healthcare, right? People often have to drive for hours or walk for miles or both to get to a clinic, right? Those kinds of treatments become really important. 
Wow, that's amazing. I mean, and then you're having to deal with it from several different sides, not just the, you know, for regulatory compliance and company compliance. And that also, when we talked, the other thing I thought was really interesting is you have a program that's more value-based versus rules-based. So yes, I feel like it's that, especially given the global reach and when you just talked about, you know, all over the world, you know, how does that impact how you grow the program and move it forward? Yeah, we definitely focus on values at Roche. And I think what's interesting about Roche is that we're ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, a family-owned company. That's how the company began. The Hoffman-LaRoche family are still involved at our board of directors in Switzerland. And we have sort of two major arms of our business. We have the pharmaceutical side, which is obviously drug treatment or other kinds of treatment infusion and the like. And then our diagnostics side which is really focused on, as we've talked about, sort of general testing, monitoring, and things to identify whether you have a current condition and how that condition may be progressing and what you might be able to do about it that can inform treatment. And we are all over the world. My program in particular, I'm responsible for sites that include Potsdam, Germany, Cape Town, South Africa, Rope Switzerland, and multiple sites across the U.S. But ultimately, my teams are creating products that are going to be delivered all over the world. And so it's an interesting time to be doing that, right? Regulations are inconsistent, you know, first across the 50 states, but then across the globe. Right. And so it's really interesting and challenging, but that's where I think values really come to play. So our Roche values are courage, passion, and integrity. And then we also have a set of what we call leadership commitments and a set of cultural beliefs around how we want to behave. And because it's a family-owned company, reputation is really important. And if your name were on the door of a company, I think you would understand, right, what you would want that to represent. And so there's a real element of that within Roche. And because we're sort of a Swiss headquartered company, there's also a real, you know, element of what I would call Swiss culture. It's certainly more conservative, right? I think the Swiss are known for being neutral, but there's definitely a conservative nature into how we're going to deal with reputation. And in terms of how we grow the program, honestly, the most growth we've seen in the last five years has been through acquisition, which is always really interesting because we acquire companies where there's technology that, you know, the science matches and we may be the ones to scale that up to produce for a global environment. And that can be really challenging, right? Because startup cultures tend to be very different and um, (laughs) compliance isn't always the first thing that they think about. And in fact, right, in order to innovate, sometimes you have to not think of the different boxes you may have to check from a compliance standpoint. And so we spend a lot of time really trying to integrate people. But again, because it's all in the healthcare space, I think it's particularly There's an element that people understand they're trying to do the right thing. And so we have to help them understand why some of the documentation that they might not have done in early days becomes critical and how they can't just buy parts from the Home Depot. We have to make sure we've qualified our suppliers and that (laughs) things, you know, and, and those are literally questions we've had or issues we've had to deal with. So acquisitions are always interesting and you know, you never want to squash a culture, right? But you have to bring people along with a program that may be much more mature. And so sometimes we have to sort of start back at the beginning, right? Why we do what we do and how a mature company has to operate because, you know, sometimes their company could take a risk when they were independent that we as the Roche brand won't take, right? 
Right. That makes sense, especially when you're dealing with you know, new company or acquisitions and also different geographies, because if a company's not work, used to working with, for example, the Swiss culture and yes. having, worked, having worked with a company that was based in Switzerland and then the difference between the Swiss and the Americans and then, the, you know, you bring acquisitions in Canada or France, you're suddenly separate from even size of company or what people are used to. They have a unique culture that you don't want to lose, but you want consistency. Yeah. And so we try and tailor, right? And we do the best we can. And we try and really listen to the group there and explain our point of view and bring our code of conduct and talk about the why. But certainly conflicts of interest in South Africa are different than they are in the U.S., you know? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your team and about women in compliance, because when you also said that your team is almost entirely women. And yes, frequently that hasn't surprised me in any discussions I've had, but why do you think women are such good compliance leaders and it's a good area for women? And talk a little about your team. They sound fantastic. <laughs> I have an amazing team. I can't say enough great things about them. So in our team of 14, 13 of us are women, but we have a really great diversity of background, of life experience. We have people who were raised in different countries. We have people who Myself, I'm, I'm married to an Irishman from the island. So, you know, that brings a different element to our family dynamic. I have, you know, people who have families from Asia. I have people who are Middle Eastern. At one point, we represented almost every race on the spectrum and lots of languages also as a result of that, but also life experiences. We have, you know, widows. We have people who are divorced. We have single parents. We have no parents. We have people just starting out. We have people from their 20s all the way to their 60s on my team. And so those diversities matter as well. And I think sometimes that we think about diversity in pretty narrow terms. We also have people with disabilities on my team who may not be, you know, that open to speaking about them, but those are certainly things I'm aware of. And all of that just brings more richness. And we really try and talk about how those perspectives matter and help. And I think the reason women are more prevalent in compliance is that it is a newer field. And so I think women feel like it's easier to break in, like they don't have to start by breaking a glass ceiling and start in an industry that's historically been male oriented. So I think it, it feels more empowering and, you know, maybe you have more of an opportunity to make a mark because I do think it is still relatively new as a field. And a lot of people, you know, that I talk to still have no idea what that is. So I think that's sort of why women are drawn to it. But in terms of sort of skill set, I also think there's an element of seeing the big picture, taking great care of people, having a real values base. And I'm not going to say that I think women have those skills more, but I think women are more likely to demonstrate those in the workplace than men have been taught to. Right. I know it's interesting now. I think more men are coming into the field. And one of the reasons we were very excited about starting this podcast is to highlight that, look, a lot of fabulous women have been doing this for a while and have a lot of different insights. I appreciate also what you're talking about, about lots of different diversity in terms of many different kind of areas. I think it's all makes it a better profession as a whole. You also had talked at one point about bringing people in with different subject matters and, you know, expertise to bring those perspectives into your team too. I think it's really, really an interesting approach to have those rotations and also the diversity. 
Yeah, I love bringing people in who have different skill sets. And, as you know, when we were in early days and sort of building the program, we were all sort of figuring it out as we went along. Although, honestly, I still feel like that, given how much is changing every day, we're sort of still making it up as we go along. But I've been able to, you know, I'll talk about two specific people on my team who were not sort of what you would, I think, consider the typical compliance background. So there's a fabulous woman on my team who's in Arizona, and her background happens to be in tax. And we were looking for someone who could help with government filings for our CLIA laboratory, which is regulated under CMS. And so we have filings in all 50 states. And she had moved from tax into sort of a licensing program and helping to support that. And she just has this great sense of both how the financial part of our business works and who the people in the Roche network are that you need to know to be able to get information. And then that background of tax having had to file in 50 states, like none of that surprised her. And so, <laughs> but I have to admit that I really had to advocate for why her skill set was right for the team because there were other people who were like, why are you bringing a tax person in compliance? And honestly, I mean, she hit the ground running and someone said to me, it's going to take two years for this program to be mature. It took her four months to get a number control. And I'm really proud of that. And honestly, she's loved the transition too. She says it's the best job she's ever had. So, you know, I'm very proud of that. And then a second woman on my team, I met her as my business contact when I was working on rolling out a compliance program around how we appropriately separate what medical people do versus what commercial people do to mitigate risks for off-label promotion and bribery and corruption. And so she was trained as a communications expert. And I've been recruiting her for five years and finally got her onto my team. But having that communications background and promotions background, she's a great advocate for how we can better brand ourselves, how we can make our materials more compelling, how we get our message out there, which is really where our program is at, is really, you know, getting right message, right time to right people. And she just polishes things in such a fantastic way. And it really has people thinking differently about how they tell our story and how they tell key messages. And so those two skill sets, I mean, I'm constantly sending people to them to say, learn from them, right? Learn what they do, learn how they do it, learn how they think. And I think neither one of those are what you would think of as traditional compliance background. Yeah, that's great. So what advice would you give to women who are starting in the profession or what you'd like to see over the next two to five years, you know, where it's going? Because, you know, I'd like you to just bring a little bit of that, those thoughts and experience to those that are listening today. Yeah, I mean, in terms of where it's going, I think it's only becoming more institutional. So I'm seeing more and more education around it at law schools and other universities online and otherwise. So I think it's getting a lot of attention and certainly has a lot more appeal and information than it did when I was starting. So I think people need to take advantage of that. I mean, having SCCE and HCCA, you know, as organizations that credential people is, I think, a really important part of what we do. It's also a really great community. So I think the best advice I have for people is go to those conferences and meet the people and start talking to them and start working with them and start thinking about how you can write, how you can speak, how you can present, and how you can share ideas. Because honestly, the best things we've ever come up with come from collaborating with other people who might have a different perspective and can take our idea one step further. 
In terms of where it's going in the next two to five years, I mean, I think privacy and information governance and data are the hottest topic that there is in compliance. I think we're also continuing to see how social media is influencing compliance, right? When I think about things like the college cheating scandal or, you know, the Me Too movement and how much social media has played in those, it's going to change the dynamic of how we think about our jobs. I mean, for me, it already has. You know, when I have cases that have media coverage, right, I have to think differently. And it's a very instantaneous reaction, right? You don't get three weeks to prepare a press release. You have five minutes from the time a story goes out, sometimes not even that. And so I really think that's changing the world we live in and people expect an instant response. I mean, it's very funny to me. People will send us messages about, hey, this new privacy law came out. What does it mean to us? And I'm like, that came out 10 minutes ago and we've got 100 we're tracking. You know, like, give us a minute. Let us, let, us just, let us digest that. And also, right, they don't understand just because it passed, it may not be effective for two years, right? But, you know, that's something you didn't deal with 10 years ago, right? People weren't emailing me about new laws, right? But now they are, right? The business is, is chomping at the bit. They hear a new privacy law in the news and they want me to give them a response today, and so I think that's that's going to change the world. It's already changing it. But I think those two aspects, social media, data, information, governance, and privacy, I think those are going to be even more important. I think they're going to affect everything we do, whether it's investigations or government relationships. I just think it's the hottest thing and it's the area that's changing the most. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Before we end, is there anything else you would want to bring up or mention about the women in compliance or Roche or your experiences? I mean, I will say that the compliance community is one of the best I've ever experienced. People are so giving and sharing and, you know, being raised as a lawyer, that's really not how how the community worked. It was sort of everyone for themselves from law school right into practice. And in fairness, I was in litigation, so it was a daily fight. But there wasn't a lot of collaboration and support. And I think one of the most beautiful things about this community is how much there is, right? And how much people are willing to give and share and connect and then help one another. And honestly, that's the nicest part. Being in litigation really got to be sort of emotionally draining in terms of just the negativity and the lack of civility. And I think, you know, in in the world as it is today, I think we continue to see some lack of civility going on in some discourse. And I have to say that this community is professional, civil, collaborative, helpful, and giving in a way that I'm not sure that really any other profession is. And so I take advantage of that. It's really amazing. Yeah, I think I completely agree. We talk about it a lot. And I think that's what also what draws people to compliance is that sometimes I've yet to meet a compliance professional who really doesn't just want to do the right thing and help their company do that. But we don't feel the same sort of I have to own what was interesting. It's let me share my code. Let me tell you something that worked. And also let me tell you what didn't work. I mean, that's been a great part of the podcast. I mean, getting the opportunity to talk to and to learn from you, which I really appreciate is fantastic. So thank you for that. It's been great for me too. I mean, thank you. Just that you guys are doing this is amazing to me. And I think it really speaks to, you know, what I just said about the industry in general. And yeah, I mean, 
what I find is compliance people are the first to tell you how many mistakes they've made and how many <laughs> things they would do differently. But also we are making it up as we go along, right? We're creating this and forging a path. So of course it isn't going to be easy. But I think many professions, that's really hard to say. And in this profession, I've never met anyone with an ego, you know, that's highly invested in it being their own. It's like, yep, it's hard. Let's figure it out together. Yeah. And thank you so much for being one of the great women in compliance. And thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to more of these. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.